0: elementary kids, you can go ahead and head out and downstairs. And middle schoolers, you all can also head upstairs. Okay, so we had the uh, intro to Wellspring lunch after church last Sunday, and in that time we shared our values, one of which is to be an irresistible influence in our city. And so I gave everyone just kind of a super condensed version of what that's meant over the last nine years. And I explained that we first started to meet our neighbors by spending quite a bit of time at Edison. And some folks went over and made the teacher's lounge really nice. And lots of people mentored kids over at Edison. And we did all kinds of like really big Easter egg hunts complete with dance parties and everything. And while those kinds of things were like really, really good and really appropriate ways to meet our neighbors when we were new to the neighborhood. At that time, we kind of started to realize that even after all of that, we still didn't really know very many names and we didn't really know our neighbors' stories and we weren't really spending time with them relationally and we really wanted to turn the corner and start spending time with our neighbors in a really relational, excuse me, and meaningful way. And so a lot's happened since we had that revelation, and um, Rob Howitt started a basketball team that's now grown into I don't even know how many basketball teams, and all kinds of kids at Edison are spending time with their coaches and other families in our church through that, and we have friends who are spending time down at Food for Kids almost every day during the summer, getting to know our neighbors through that. But one year ago today, um, August sixteenth, two 2014, Sam Donahue moved in up the street into what we have called the Guest House. And we have shared before that the vision for the Guest House is to show and tell Jesus to the modern-day widows and orphans in our neighborhood. And by show and tell, we mean give our neighbors a loving experience of God and then give them an explanation of the hope that can be found in Christ. And so this last year has been a wild ride, and there has been a lot of show and tell going on, and so we've asked Sam to come today and just give us a glimpse into just the year in review.
1: Okay. Good morning. Um, As Stacey said, today is one year that we have been in the house, and I know I spoke to you guys in April, and I just like cannot believe that that has been only four months ago because just so much has happened in this past summer. Um, And with the one year anniversary coming, just like thinking back, just like today is this one year of adventure. It's one year of fun, it's one year of knowledge, it's one year of tears, it's one year of frustration, it's one year of falling deeper in love with this community, it's one year of mission. And it's one year of walking closer with Jesus. Today I want to invite you into this past year. Um, but first I have to admit something. You know, you get up here and you have to confess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I have something of a bit of a savior complex in even before I knew it, people will tell me about it, of just, like, I want to save people and, like, help and do whatever I can um, to help them out of what's going on with them that day or just the situation that they're in or whatever. Um, and with that, I get really tired, and then you get to see my true colors. Um, but I'm learning with that, and um, I'm also learning that, like, God wants to help me in that, and I have to, like, lean on him through that. But then also that he's inviting other people to be in this with me as well, and I need to lean on them as well. So I just wanted to start um, and kind of tell you this year, everybody who he's brought along this journey, it's been um, really awesome. So I also mentioned back in April that one of the best gifts that um, I've received out of this whole experience is my high school and my college friends. Um, this week has been, like, really hard because a lot of them left for college, and um, my heart aches because I won't see a lot of them until Thanksgiving when they get back. So, um, But these young adults have, like, truly been a light and just continue to show me Jesus' pure love. Um, they have challenged me and inspired me in ways that I know that they don't even realize. And I'm still so amazed and so jealous um, of how much they know with their young age. And especially, like, how much they want to serve and give back to God. Um, The thing that still kills me is they take their Bible and their journal with them everywhere they go. So, and if, like, we are walking out the door, they're like, oh, wait, I got to go back and grab it. So, like, they're treating their Bible the way that I treat my cell phone. So, that's, like, one of the things that have just, like, really, um, I have nothing that I was going to say today to make me cry. (laughs) So, anyways, that's just, like, really been challenging to me to, like, just how high they put their, um, relationship with Christ, as they should, um. So, they're always bringing someone with them, too, which I love. Like, they want to invite people with them when they come to the house or food for kids or whatever we're doing for the day. They always, like, bring someone along. And I just love that, like, they're going to go back to school. um, And, you know, the question of, like, what would you do this summer? They're going to be able to say, like, they spent it hanging out and giving back to this community. And they're so unashamed to say, like, how much God was a part of that. And I just think that's really cool. So... I'm very thankful that Taylor Kennedy brought um, Cade Coffee over that day to donate the TV to the house and that connections were made in that way. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much to Cade Coffee, Cade Musser, Mac and Sam Starr, Abigail, Faith, Michaela, Clint, Peyton, Zach, Chance, Lawrence Lawrence, Kyle, Sam, Kylie, Jensen, Jordan. Trajan, Haley, Andrew, Clay, Sarah, Ashley, Hallie, and Keone. I'll forever be be grateful for these people. And just, I wanted them to have that, like, their name. Like, you guys know that many people of young adult age were there and involved this summer and throughout this whole year with the kids. Just so awesome, the movement that's happening. I have also had a chance... um, to gain this unique friendship with Sheila and Kinsey from Food for Kids, if you've heard us talk about them. Um, And the kids are very smart, and they will um, act one way at the house and then try to be able to get to do things with Food for Kids or act one way at Food for Kids and try to still be able to come to the house. Um, So we have developed this relationship of constant communication of what's going on so that um, consequences are being held um, at the same level with both places. Um, and I'm just so excited for what that relationship holds to and just like what I was saying with the high school kids and what Stacey have mentioned. There was not one day this summer that there wasn't a presence from the high school and college kids at Food for Kids, and that's just, um, again, really something amazing to me, like God has really shown. I also have developed a relationship with my friend Charlotte Foster, and she lives just like two blocks away from the guest house, just like me, she will have kids knocking on her door, like, day or night. Um, and she, like, lets them in and provides whatever they need for the day, whether that's, like, swimming in her pool or she, like, cooks them dinner. Um, she's helped by school supplies and just, like, always there for them. And then as well for me, anytime I call her, like, she's my neighbor that I call for the cup of sugar or the glass of milk. <laughs> and then um, she also... Just like helps me with advice and like bouncing things off of um, her. So I'm just really blessed and honored to be able to call Charlotte my friend. Another amazing thing that happened this summer was um, Devin Kearns and his love for children. And um, he wanted to start a Bible study with the kids. And unfortunately, I. go to school on Wednesdays, so I wasn't able to attend that, but when I got back, they would always tell me about the awesome time they had and, like, tell me about um, the message that they had been taught, and um, it was, like, a lot of fun. They would go swimming, and they would eat dinner, and they'd have, like, a 10 or 15 minute um, discussion on Jesus, and Devin did an amazing job of just, like, inviting other high school um, and college kids into that as well and helping them develop their leadership skills. Um, And I know that Ronnie Burr was, like, a huge part of this. And um, I just have, like, so many stories of the kids telling me, like, how cool Ronnie Burr is. So I just, (laughs) like, it's just so cool that they had that much fun at that Bible study. I'm sad I didn't get to go. Um, And I say a lot of times, like, if I can get people to come and, like, meet the kids and learn their stories, then they're going to get hooked. And um, we had a chance to do that with a lot of families this summer. And I just wanted to give them a shout-out as well. Um, Keith and Teresa Smither, Travis and Chloe Smither, Rob and Kelly Starr, Tony and Angie Mock, Bill and Stephanie Burr, Eric and Amy Tushner, Rob and Jenny Howitt, Rich and Shelly Fox. Justin and Sarah Amos, and then Devin and Stacy Kearns are several of the families who, like, invited kids out after church or just, like, brought them along with whatever their family was doing this summer um, and just, like, developed bonds with them. And, like, what I appreciate the most with that is when I have kids, I have, like, multiple children at a time. I don't have a lot of one-on-one time with them. So when they're allowed to um, go with these families, they're, like, given that – dedicated time of just them so um, which everyone likes to feel love and have attention so and then I just am so thankful for these families and the crazy amount of like support and love that they have shown um, the house and then also to me like anytime I need something I know I can call them and they will be there so that's really awesome to have them and something else um, a lot of you be new I'm not sure if you're experiencing this but I know you are um, is just Bob um, When I came here, it was amazing to me that he would always come up, and he remembered my name, and he remembered what I had told him that was happening with my week last week, and he just, like, always followed up with that and, like, made you feel special. Um, And then a couple weeks after coming, he, like, wrote me this hand letter about, like, welcome to the community, and he was just excited that I was here, and I just, like, have forever been grateful for that. And then um, with this house, too, he's always, like, He'll send me um, different words of encouragement and just, like, hey, we're praying for you, and what do you need, and who can we, like, hook up with whatever you need. Like, he's always just been there. Um, And he even came and mowed the grass. So (laughs) he just has, like, this huge presence there, too, which I'm so thankful to have, like, um, as a member of this church and with the ministry that we're leading, like, to have that much um, support from your pastor is just really awesome. And also, you guys had a chance to meet the interns a few weeks back. um, Justin led an internship with three interns, and then Zach um, kind of co-led that with him. And they have, like, come along and just been amazing, too. Um, They planned, like, the biggest s'mores party I've ever been to ever. There were literally 45 people in my backyard, and we were, like, pushing out s'mores like a – conveyor belt <laughs> just like who needs another one um so that was really cool that they done that and they also like have just like stuck around and developed a relationship with kids I know Sam is going to um food for kids every day too um so I just think it's really awesome that that was able to happen as well um I wanted to tell you um the most unsuspected um gosh dang it, (laughs) I'm sorry friends, the most unsuspected um, relationship that I made this year and that has been um, with one of the little boys and I started coming around in like December and I've talked to you guys about just like this whole year was really more like if we got to spread Jesus that was cool but really like I had to earn trust and I had to be able to like know that They knew that I was coming and that you can do whatever you want and I'm going to be here. And we did a lot of that, just earning trust. Um, And I met this little boy. He was so angry, like, the first five or so weeks every day. Like, you got to go home. You can't fight here. You can't cuss here. You can't do that. And, like, how many times that I've been cussed at and yelled at and just, like, ridiculousness. And we have... um, some, like, Nerf guns that have been donated to the house, and he would always be holding them and want to tell me all about guns, and he could break them down, and guns are just so cool to have. And, um, of course, I'm like, yes, maybe you should go to the military. Like, let's do, like, a, spin that in a good way.
0: <laughs>
1: and <laughs> so... <clears throat> um, just like with this relationship it has been so hard and there's many times like I've cried and I just like any smart person would be like enough is enough you're not coming back and I tried to like do that and be like hey you're grounded for this day or the next day or whatever like a week however deep the defense what the offense was is how long he would be grounded for and um I was like okay I won't ever hear from him again but uh Is not true. He would always call me or be on the front step the day that he was ungrounded to be able to um, come back in and play. So I just kind of like put him out to everybody. Help me pray for him. Like, let's just ask Jesus to work on that man, that little man, I guess. Like, just like change his heart. Let him see that there's something different in this world. Um, Now I can't see any of you, so it makes me feel better. (laughs) Um, And, like, last week, Bob's sermon said, like, if you see somebody that, like, God's working on, like, show them, tell them their vision, like, tell them what they're capable of. And so I'm starting this Bible study in September on Sundays after church with a few of the kids that come regularly with church to church with me because they're, like, really hungry. We can see it in them. And my goal is I want to, like, be the leader at first, and then we'll, like, transition into one of the kids, like, leading that, and I'll just be the support. Um, so I took him aside, and I was telling him about my vision with that, and just, like, then I said, hey, I want you to be the one that helps me at first. And he just, like, went blank, and he told me that, um, I didn't think you were going to say that to me. And I just, um, that's when God took over, and was just like, everything, like, you're such a leader. You're so awesome. You have all this potential. Like, any time that you say something, the kids follow you. Any time that, I don't know, he's just like a really awesome kid. And I just kept throwing all that out at him. And I was like, but we're going to have to, like, plan. And I could just see, like, his cells pumping up. And... Said, we'll need to plan some games. And he's like, Oh, I got that. I go to the middle school ministry. I got that. (laughs) And I was like, All right, buddy. And then I told him that um, we have to read the Bible because in order to teach the truth, we have to know the truth. And he's like, Well, I don't have a Bible. And I said, We can get you a Bible. That's not a problem, but will you read it? And he's like, Yep, I'll read the Bible. So I'm just like, So, so excited and thankful. And, um, just, like, overwhelmed with how much God has moved there and just, like, how much we, um, like, I'm going to get to watch this all play out, and it's so cool. I'm just really excited for that. And there's been one other person um, that has been there every step of the way on this journey with me, and similar to what I did to that little boy, she's mad at me because I didn't tell her I was putting this in here. <laughs> um, she constantly called out my vision and just kept saying like god loves you and you're meant for this and like kept encouraging me and i'm just so thankful for Stacy. She plays the background and nobody knows the amount of work that has put in that she puts into this. All the crappy stuff that nobody wants to do like the budget and planning the meetings and making all these like ridiculous phone calls to save me and protect me. That lady does that. So thankful for her. So, <laughs> What I hope you've heard in all that is that God is so awesome. And looking back over this year, I know that, like, all the planning in the world would have, like, never um, put all of this in place. Like, we could have never orchestrated this. It's totally God. And constant prayer, faith, and a little bit of insanity (laughs) is what has gotten us here. We have no way um, in knowing what, we'll got, what God will bring us this year, but we're just really excited to be able to still step in this space with him. Um, but one thing that is coming, and it's on the horizon, it's been in the planning phase for a long time, um, is like we have um, partnered with the Global Orphan Project, and they have a relationship with the Missouri Department of Social Services Children's Division and a pastor from Olathe. I wanted to make sure I got that right. Um, and they have this program called strengthening families and it um, most of the time when kids get to children's division, it's cause there's been a call place for like abuse or neglect and they come in and, um, have to have an awful talk or whatever that looks like with just, we, we might remove the kids. Um, and they haven't had a good chance of like connecting the prevention side of what that looks like. Um, but the church, has partnered with them, and they are now doing the Strengthening Families program. And Global Orphan Project, um, <clears throat> excuse me, has, like, set up a partnership now with us and the Children's Division. So, and this is, like, an evidence-based um, program that will be offered, and it helps, like, tools for healthy bonding and communication and conflict resolution. So it's, like, the preventive side rather than when the Children's Division would come in and say, We're going to place them in um, foster care. So both Connor McFarland and I, um, along with the children's division, there was two of them who got trained in the Strengthening Families um, curriculum. And we're going to be offering this training. It's like a family-style gathering. There's um, dinner involved, and it's 14 weeks. And that will be happening here at Wellspring and we're really excited about this to be able to be the frontier and like on the forefront of this um, here and that's going to happen in the next several several weeks you're going to be hearing more um, about what's about to happen with that so just stay tuned um, and if you have any more questions today Connor and I will be here and we can um, talk about that with you after church so remember in the very beginning I told you about my savior complex um, one of those person people who have really challenged me with that um, is my dear friend Tate Williams with the Global Orphan Project. <laughs> and he is the Global Orphan Project's field director for Missouri and Kansas. And what we do is, like, spend a lot of time with him. And um, he just kind of helps us as we care for the vulnerable um, and which way, like, we're following Christ and how it helps us with that. So he's our leader with that. Um, and he's spoken here before. And today um, he's going to tell you about his perspective on what's going on with Wellspring and what he's observed in the last year. So give it up for Tate. And thank you so much for letting me share today.
2: Thanks, Sam. Um, let's pray real quick. Father, I... Uh, I had a message planned for this group of people, but even as I was thinking about coming up here and praying um, for them, I was convicted of the reality that I need to pray for myself. Um, So Lord God, I pray that today you will use these words that are gonna come out of my mouth to preach to my soul, to challenge me, to convict me, to break me um, of the ways in which I wall myself off um, from others, and I seek comfort that is not um, you. So, Lord, as we head into this time, um, let this be a conversation uh, with you and me, and if there's things that need to be said to people in this room, uh, I trust you to do that, um, to speak. Um, So, I put all of us in your hands, um, and I ask for your guidance, uh, your wisdom, opened eyes, opened ears, and open doors. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So first things first, I've got to address the tie. Um, I understand that this is a, an offense to many of you in this room. For that, I apologize, but today is a celebration Sunday, so I felt the need to, uh, to, to dress up. Um, and and celebrate. This is not my normal deal, as those of you who who have uh, have met me before may know. Um, the other thing I wanted to address is that I'm going to be operating off of this today. Sam, I have my Bible on my phone so that I don't have to deal with that conviction of you know I can justify my attachment to my phone um, because the Bible's on it. Uh, <laughs> so um, with that said, I, I want us to, to to start this morning by by. Um, by by sharing, I'm going to share um, what I what I have the privilege of observing. Being part of the organization that I work for, we are a international nonprofit based in Kansas City, um, and we operate in 18 different countries. And our base of operation, our work that we do, is built around this idea that the local church is called to care for the vulnerable in their community, and that it is in fact through the vulnerable that God witnesses to the local church and builds their faith and strengthens them. And it is through the local church that God meets the needs of the vulnerable. So it's this two-way street, but it's through the local church. It's through the people of God. So globally, I get to watch churches um, in uh, in those 18 countries caring for children, caring for broken families, caring for that addicted mother or father, and helping them stabilize. Um, And it is overwhelming to look at that scope and realize the needs that exist in our world. Uh, some of you may uh, be fully aware of um, that this day and age, we have a greater uh, migration of immigrants than at any other time in the history of the world. We have more poverty than at any other time in the history of the world. We have a greater separation of wealth and poverty than at any other time in the, in the, in the world. We have more abused, neglected, and abandoned children than at any other time in the history of the world. Uh, We have more murders of unborn children than at any other time in the history of the world. Um, So these days that we live in are are overwhelming, to say the least. The need is overwhelming. Um, And the church is faced with this daunting task in every community around the world, regardless of their economics, with caring for the vulnerable in their community. and I'm here today to tell you that God is on the move, um, so I'm here today to celebrate with you, that's the tie, the guest house, but I'm also here today to celebrate with you God's move globally. However, we have to own the reality that, that it is not to the scale that it should be, and this is not me trying to downgrade the effort that he is putting into this, but it is to own the reality that as the church, as a representative of the church, as the church globally, we have abdicated a lot of our responsibility of caring for the vulnerable um, to others, and we have often shut our door um, to them. That's happening globally. That's happening nationally. Um, there is an ache in the church in this country to be meaningful and relevant. You hear this terminology a lot. Um, but there is a, uh, an offensive little amount of effort that's put into the care of the most vulnerable in our own communities. We crave relevance, yet we do nothing um, for the vulnerable, often. Um, and that is... To epidemic proportions. Um, If I was to show you a map of this city, if I was to show you a map of this state with all of the churches that are registered with our government on it, you would be appalled. There's thousands, tens of thousands of congregations, and yet there's thousands, tens of thousands of children in foster care, of individuals incarcerated of those suffering from mental health and addiction, those living in group homes and facilities run by our government, those on welfare in our own community. Um, That scale, um, when viewed through the lens of Scripture, is convicting, to say the least. But what I want to own with you this morning, what I want to celebrate with you this morning, is that your church has planted a flag And stepped forward and has been stepping forward in your entire history, been aggressively stepping into this work of caring for the vulnerable, of living out what it actually means to be a believer um, in faith, in Christ first and foremost, but in good works um, in your community. So that's beautiful. Beautiful. I want us to, to, to wrestle with this phrase for the remainder of our time, and it's just a few minutes that we have. But this phrase is this The kingdom is on the other side of the door. The kingdom is on the other side of the door. What door, might you ask? Uh, Let's turn to Scripture to discuss that. Revelation 3, everyone's favorite book in the Bible, right? Amen. Amen? Amen. Um, Revelation 3. There's, if if you were to do a word search of the usage of the word door or the translation of this this word door or gate throughout Scripture, you would be astounded by how frequently it's discussed. Um, We sang a song to open up our morning. About it, gates, doors, um, discussing this reality that, that there's something significant about this metaphor. There's something significant about what they represent. There's there's something significant about what they do. Jesus very specifically addresses this metaphor of doors at nauseum. Um, he talks about it a lot, um, and uh, even to the point of calling himself a door. But for the purposes of our time this morning, we're going to look at, at the usage of the word door as Jesus uses it in Revelation 3, specifically in, in 3.7 and then again in, in uh, 3.20. Um, so the first place that I want us to look is, is in 3.7. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Revelation, John is writing this book as a record of things that he heard visions that he had, uh, a testimony of Christ to him. Um, and the opening chapters of the, verse, of the book of Revelation discuss Jesus' message to seven churches scattered throughout the world. Um, and these churches are identified by the cities that they're in, which is very fascinating to, to think about, that Jesus addresses cities, not local congregations. Very, very, and very interesting thing. But in 3.7, he's speak, speaking specifically to the church in Philadelphia. Um, and he says this, and to the angel at the church in Philadelphia right, and, and many people interpret that, that word angel, how it's translated to, to imply to the pastor, to the preacher, to the leader of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens, and no one will shut, and who shuts, and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. This is a good thing. Speaking to the church in Philadelphia, and he's saying, hey, I have supreme authority to determine opening and closing of doors. Well, what door are you referring to, Jesus? What, what are we talking about here? And why does the church of Philadelphia get an open one? Okay? So with, with that in mind, I'm going to quote some, some scriptures for you. You don't, you don't have to turn there if you don't want um, but the first is discussing this concept of an open door. And, and famously, Jesus talks about an open door in Matthew 7, verse 7 through 8, and he says this, and um, Matthew 7 is the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. What many believe is Jesus' thesis statement, if you will. If there's one sermon you need to read, if there's one thing that you need to read and learn about who Jesus is, read the Sermon on the Mount. Um, And in this sermon, he uses this metaphor of doors in chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. and, And in the context of this, he's saying, hey, seek and you will find, ask and you will be answered, knock and it will be open to you. He makes a very clear and bold statement that for anyone pursuing him, there will be an open door. He makes this bold statement about the door that will always be open. And that door is, when we come to him in need, that door is always going to be open. Then in that very same sermon, he talks about a closed door, (laughs) which is very confusing. Um, But my hope is that we can unpack some of this today. In Matthew 7, verse 21 through 23, Jesus very specifically shares that at some point, the door is going to close, and it will never open. And he's speaking specifically to those who claim to know him. Pay very careful attention here. He's speaking very specifically to those of us who claim to know Jesus. And he says in Matthew 7 that the door will not open to us. So on one hand, he says the door will always be open. And then again, he says the door at some point will close and will never open again. He's the one with the keys. He's the one who determines what door opens and closes. He makes that very clear in Revelation 3, verse 7. But then we need to move down to Revelation three twenty, And this is where this other door comes into play. And this is the door that I call the mysterious door. Okay? So let's read that together. Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. Revelation three twenty is written to another church. Revelation three seven is written to the church in Philadelphia, a church that Christ declares has an open door that will never close. However, in Revelation 3.20, he's writing to a different type of church, and this is the church at Laodicea. If you read earlier in the text, he unpacks who this church is and what their identity is, and their identity is this. They think they have the answer. They think they have it all together, but they're blind to who they really are. And what he's convicting them of and conveying to them is that they are poor, pitiable, and blind, yet they think they're wealthy, stable, and And they have the right plan. And then he says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Three doors. The door that will always open. The door that will be shut and never open. And then this mysterious door where he knocks. And we choose whether to open or close. To help me wrap my head around this, um, I believe this was an answer to prayer. God took me to a story in Matthew. Um, It's one of Jesus' parables. It's Matthew 18, 23. And I'll just unpack this story very briefly for you. And it's this. Jesus is trying to convey some information about the kingdom and really the essence of the kingdom to his disciples. And so he shares this parable about a king who decides to call up the debts in the country that he was ruling over. So he calls up the debts, and he says, all right, everybody's got to pay. We've, we've lent out, I've lent out of the kingdom storehouses to you all um, to, to do the work, but now it's time to settle up and settle debts. And so he calls in this guy who has a pretty big sum um, and uh, many theologians would argue that it is an astronomical sum that no human being could actually ever pay off. Um, and he calls him in, and he says, all right, let's settle up. Here's the deal. This is what you owe. It's on the look at the balances. We're all on the same page. I gave you all of this. Now pay it back. And the guy's like, there's no way. I've it out. I've done, I've done a bunch of different stuff. There's, I, can't, I can't do it. I can't afford it. And he gets on his knees, and he begs, please have mercy on me. Please have mercy. And the king says, okay, good. I will figure out how to pay this debt. It's not like this debt is just going to disappear, but I'm going to figure out how to deal with it. I have forgiven you, okay? So he gives him forgiveness. So no more debt. This guy literally owes nothing to anybody. He is debt-free. And what does he do next? He goes out. And he finds somebody who owes him pennies. And he says to him, pay up. Pay up, pay up, pay up. And the guy's like, no, I can't do this. And then scripture says, Jesus says this very strange thing. He says, and then the guy chokes him. He's holding him in a chokehold and he's saying, pay your stinking debt or else it's over. The guy's like, I can't do it. I don't have the money. I can't afford this. And so he calls up the prison guards and he has the guy thrown in. Locked up. The king hears about this and calls him in. And he says, here's the deal. That forgiveness that you were given is gone. Lock him up. That parable helped me understand these doors for the first time. Door one, the door that always opens, is in when you and I are in crisis and in need. And we've identified the debt that we owe. We've identified the fact that we cannot fix ourselves. We cannot change our hearts. We cannot do what we're called to do. We cannot live the way that we're supposed to live. And we come crawling to Jesus, and he says, Son, daughter, you're now brother and sister. You're forgiven. It's done. You're forgiven. Door number two. We now have an opportunity to give of ourselves to our neighbors. And Jesus flips the script, and he says, I'm going to come knocking on your door. He was that debtor who owed nothing, virtually nothing. He came, he was in need, and we, we then have a choice to make. What do we do with this Jesus guy? What do we do with who he says he's going to look like when he comes to visit us? What do we do with the fatherless in our community? What do we do with the homeless? What do we do with the addicts? What do we do with the poor? What do we do with those who have needs? Do we lock our door? Do we move? Do we avoid? Do we aggressively choke them out and say, you slob, get a job. Get off welfare. Figure it out. And then there's this final door. And those who claim to know Jesus will come to this door one day. Many of us, myself included, we will come to this door one day and we will ask for admission of the king. And he will say to us, I knew some of you and I did not know some of you. And we will all say to him, But Lord, we knew you. We used your name. We, we went to church. We read the Bible. We got baptized. We did all this stuff. And he will say, But did you meet me when I came to you? This invitation that he gives. Is frightening, to say the least. It's frightening because you and I have doors, and what if the kingdom is on the other side of our door? And what if, what if there's not just this magic that happens when we say the name of Jesus? We claim our forgiveness and then we go on living and building our own kingdom, waiting for us to be able to cash that check. What if God is actually saying, No, how you are going to be identified by me is whether you actually took on the kingdom, you actually became a child, and you began functioning like part of the family. And in our family, we give. We give till it hurts. We give till we die. That's their story. That's what you and I claim when we claim the name of Christ. And yet you and I have to wrestle with this reality that every day there's a door in front of us. There's a door in our hearts. There's a door in how we live. And We have to choose, when we hear the knock on that other side of the door, are we going to respond as if it was Jesus in need? Or are we going to judge what's on the other side of that door as if we have the right to get a debt paid? So what your church has done is planted a flag corporately and said, we're going to open a door. We're going to open the door through ministry, through mission. And it's going to cost a tremendous amount. It's not only going to cost our budget, but it's actually going to cost the future of what Christian evangelicalism says churches need to become. And that is bigger and badder and better and better equipment, better audio, better buildings. It's actually going to cost all of that to be with our neighbor to be in the community, to have a guest house, to do basketball ministries, to do food for kids. So you all have planted a flag corporately as a body and said we are going to open the door at great cost and we're going to trust that he's going to meet our needs. But here's what I want to press on all of us today is that you and I do not get off because... We do not escape this reality of this message because the place that we attend on Sunday is doing some awesome things in the community. None of us are going to be able to claim the work of others. None of us are going to be able to claim this fact that, well, we're, we're, we're good because look at these cool things that my church is doing. You and I have a, have a real question that's being asked of us today. And that is, if we claim the name of Christ, and when that knock comes on our door, when that need shows up in our community, what are we doing? How are we responding? Are we responding as if all of our debts are paid off? As if we don't have to worry about the future? Or are we responding as if we're still in control? Are we on the other side of the door? So, with that said, I want to be very, very clear so that no one misunderstands me and no one misunderstands the scripture. Jesus is not in this saying that by caring for the vulnerable, caring for the poor, that you will be saved. In fact, not at all. He even says that in Matthew. He says, no amount of good work is going to save you. There is only one thing that will save you, and that is when you come to that first door. When you come to Jesus and you ask for the door to be open. That is it. That is the only thing. But how he will know who we are and how we will grow in our faith, will be tested by him himself coming as the poor, as the needy, as the vulnerable, as those who were us knocking on our door. So today, like I shared at the very beginning, you and I have more opportunity than the world has ever known to open our door. There's more opportunity in this neighborhood than ever before in the history of St. Joseph to open your door um, as a church, but also as individuals. So my invitation to you, for those of you who claim to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, is to ask yourself, when the knock comes, what's your response? And those of you who wouldn't claim to know Jesus, I beg of you, I beg of you, Stop being arrogant. Stop thinking that you can right yourself and fix your life. You can't. You can't. So today, I pray that you would lay down, get on your knees, and ask for that door to be open because it will open. It will. Jesus, thank you so much for the, <laughs> the unbelievable cost you have assumed upon yourself when we have just taken advantage of you time and time again. We come to you and we take your good gifts and we use them inappropriately. We, f- we waste them and then we come back wanting more. Um, we abuse you, yet you continue Continue to love us. And then, on top of that, Lord, each one of us, when the knock has come on our door, we turn and stand in judgment as if we have never offended anyone. And we say, Why can't they figure this out? Why can't they get a job? Why can't they get over this addiction? So, Lord, we are offensive in your sight. Um, We take the great sacrifice you've put upon yourself and we ignore it every day. And for that, we are deeply sorry. Um, We ask for your forgiveness and we know that the door stands wide open to all of us in this moment. Um, And so, Lord, I pray that we would have that open door regardless of how it looks. I'm so grateful for this church. I pray your blessing upon it. I see in scripture much like the church at Philadelphia, this church that you've said, there's an open door for you all. There's an open door. Um, I put it in front of you. I pray, Lord God, for other churches in this city that you would open their eyes to open their, their doors as well. There's more than enough work to do. There's more than enough need. Uh, even though I pray for Wellsprings fame because of Jesus, I pray for the fame of your church in this city regardless of under the, of which banner it flies, because they all fly, Jesus' name. And I pray the same for the church in this state and the church in this nation, that you would open the door, that they would hear your knock and that they would let you in. Um, as as raggy, raggedy and, and, and hard as it might feel, um, that they would let you in, knowing that, that we are that same mess on the other side of the door. That's how we come to you. So um, in, in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen.